I encourage everyone to take a moment and breathe and take a tea cheers with a Jiri tea. A Jiri tea recognizes the beauty in shared stories and shared opportunities. Ajiri sources award-winning tea from Kenya, employs women in the region to handcraft the labels, and sends 100% of the profits back to the region to support orphan education. Save 10% on your order of Kenyan teas and coffee with the code BEAUTIFULLYHUMAN at ajiritea.com. A-J-I-R-I-T.com. Tea mugs up! Hello, and welcome to the Beautifully Human podcast. I'm Nick Sheesby. In this podcast, I speak with beautiful humans from all around the world, sharing with you their incredible stories, revealing the power in every human story to spread love and humanity to a world that is in desperate need of it, to show that we can all connect in beautiful ways, no matter where we come from or what we look like. What you will find out is that we are all beautifully human. Let's all be beautifully human. All right. Welcome back to the Beautifully Human podcast. Today, I am hanging with John Davis, who is an incredible man with a hell of a story and a hell of a journey. I'm going to let him tell you all about it here shortly. If you enjoy the podcast, follow us on Spotify and Instagram at The Beautifully Human Podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And as always, enjoy this beautiful conversation. Well, it's nice to meet you, man. I'm excited to chat with you. We're going to have fun, man. It's going to be good. Yeah. Well, so I'd like to start these off and let you control the narrative of of it with uh, a broad open question of tell me a story of your life tell you a story of my life this is a great one because you're gonna like this um i in my young uh childhood that's because that's kind of redundant there (laughs) i uh i uh i wanted to be a swashbuckler i wanted to be a a sword fighting swinging from the trees errol flynn kind of character that was my goal in life as a child by the time i hit my uh late late teens, early 20s, I had made a new goal to become a stuntman and a sword fighter and uh, really go off and do that for a living. And I started started totally training to do that. I was getting my black belt in martial arts and I was moving towards that. And I went to a Renaissance festival and ended up working with two of the top fight directors in the world who ended up seeing talent in me and, and offered me their training for free. So here I was, I was buff, I was long haired, I had the whole whole deal, man. I had, Everything looked great, you know, earrings, the whole spiel. I was I was really doing it. Then a buddy of mine says, hey, why don't you come on over to my house and help me unload my van? And I said, OK, <laughs> right. So I, I debated whether he was a buddy at that point once he said that. But uh, right. <laughs> that's like asking you to move, right? Right. <laughs> so I, I went over to his house and climbed up in his van. And he was a professional potter. He made beautiful pottery. And I picked up an 80 pound box of clay and I turned to set that box of clay outside of the van and my upper body separated from my lower body, my spine split in two and I collapsed and was paralyzed. Here I was lying there paralyzed. They hooked, hauled me to the hospital. Doctor says, you have a condition known as spina bifida occulta. And I said, gesundheit. 
because that's yeah. what you say after somebody <laughs> says that. Right? I had no idea what he's talking about. Right. He said, well, he says, you have three vertebrae that never form properly at birth. And with the extra 80 pounds and in that twisting motion, you literally took the top half of your spine off and now your, your legs are paralyzed. And uh, his next words were the, were the big killer. He said, you're never going to have a physical career. You're going to need to find a sedentary lifestyle for the rest of your life. Uh, you're never going to be a stuntman. You're never going to be a fight director. These are, these goals that you've set are not possible. And I'm lying in that hospital bed, and a buddy of mine comes in and he gives me a gift. Now, in retrospect, that gift could have seemed cruel at the time, but <laughs> it was one of those gifts that was really the perfect gift to give to me. And sure. he knew that it was perfect gift to me. He gave me a book called The Tao of Jeet Kune Do by Bruce Lee. So here I am lying in a bed, just being told I can't do martial arts or, or sword fighting or any of that again. And he gives me a, a martial arts book. Right? <laughs> so I start reading the book and I came across this whole passage about being like water and, and mental flexibility. Hmm. And I went on to take that concept and some of his, his philosophical thoughts about staying very present moment and making the best of your present moment, the most successful present moments. And so by taking that moment and, and keeping my, my mind flexible, I decided not to take the belief of the doctor and take my own belief instead. And within 30 days, I was sitting up on the side of the bed. Wow. Within a year, within a year, I was back to what I would consider a normal human being, not my buff swashbuckler self, but I was back to that normal human being place. And at a year and six months, I was standing on the edge of a three-story tower and I jumped off. <laughs> and then I went on to do over 4,000 live comedy sword fighting shows all over the world, including the front lines of Iraq and Afghanistan. I've worked in film. I've worked in stunt shows. I've done high falls. I've done zip lines. I've done more stunts than a lot of people have ever even thought of doing. And uh, I did it after somebody told me I couldn't. Damn. So there's, how's that for a little life story? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's got it all. Wow. <laughs> I mean, what did you feel in that moment when you twisted before you fell? I heard felt excruciating pain and then nothing. Oof. Um, I literally, my legs didn't work. And they, they took me to the hospital. When they took, and lying in the hospital bed, it was like, I was talking about leveraging the present moment. It literally came down to me taking an entire day just to flex my upper back muscles. Hmm. And then slowly over the course of 30 days, I... I was able to get down to where I was actually flexing my, my hip muscles, which the doctor said wasn't possible. And then I worked my way down to my toe, all the way down to my toes. And then it was like coming back that way. But yeah, when it happened, it was, it was instantaneous, excruciatingly painful. And then I felt nothing from the legs down. I still had a lot of pain in my upper back, but, um, once I started getting feeling back into those areas, then, <laughs> ooh, then I felt the pain oh, God, <laughs> for, a, for, for a long time. And uh, still to this day, they, they actually wanted to fuse my back and put a pin in there. But I knew that that meant I couldn't do rolls or high falls because a rigid right. part of your back would make it more dangerous. And so I refused that. So I still today have that same condition. I just do yoga and I mm. do lower back uh, training with weights to keep my back muscles strong enough to hold my back together. Wow. That's incredible. Wow. <laughs> I just, I'm thinking of people doing these activities you're speaking of, of yoga and stunt training and all of this with a fuse, a, a 
a spinal cord that isn't ripped apart <laughs> from each other. And I can't even imagine doing that with the condition you have. That's, that's well, unbelievable. It, it took me a long time. And don't get me wrong, I'm not doing like like harsh kundalini yoga. I'm doing sure. real simple yoga, right? <laughs> I'm just working my back, right? Right, right. Um, but yeah, I'm not doing I'm not doing fire breath. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. Um, but I am doing I am doing still today. I do the things I get up and make sure I do something physical every day for my back, including nice long walks because that's really yeah. for my back. Um, so I make sure I go out in the nature and I, I I get to have some time. I meditate twice a day to keep my mind. Um, supple because of the fact that uh, stress and tension creates tension in the back, and that makes me more prone to have another back injury if I'm stressed uh, stressed out. So i i chose to I choose to find life funny, and I just sure. I just laugh at it all the time. <laughs> I mean, there's some points in life where you just kind of have to. There's not much other response that's going to do any good for you. Right. I mean, it, it, so true. So true. Um, you know, when you're trying to achieve something, it's so funny to me. If, can, can, I, can I delve into something here real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so getting out of that bed was really about leveraging my present moments, getting that, that place of, of making successful present moments. As I started really studying what I was doing, I started, create, I started discovering our conscious mind is only, only lives in the present moment. It doesn't live in the past or the future, right? We're only right here, right now. The past is just a place of memories of past present moments and the future is a place where you set goals for present moments that we're going to live in the future you know that are going to come to us basically yeah. a lot of people get in this place where they're stuck in one spot and they're looking at that that big giant goal they've set and they're thinking i gotta get to that and they feel like they're going to struggle to get to something it's not the way it works right you have to literally stay very present in your conscious moment and, and, and make this as successful and in alignment with your outcome that you're trying to achieve. And these present moments stack on top of each other, creating an undercurrent of subconscious belief behind you that then feeds your belief. And so by staying very calm and present, when one of those moments, one of those calm, present, successful moments goes bad, you know, a lot of people will go, oh, I'm so dumb. And sure. they smack themselves. You know, that's why I'm bald. Um, just work the hair but, out of there right I, right off the back slid <laughs> down the back anyway <laughs> um, but the 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 interesting thing is i changed the, my my thought process whenever i started having those moments that didn't work instead of going i'm so dumb or why did i do that blah, 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 i started going well that that's just silly <laughs> you know that's just crazy why would i do that because i'm doing this and so the, the mindset of that that beautiful space of just staying in a in a fun, lighthearted mental space was as, was as powerful for, for me to heal my back than anything else. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I went through something completely different, but um, I was in the hospital for three days with the beginning stages of liver failure. Mm. And I had to redo my mental health, my mental strength, everything to never drink again. Cause mm -hmm. if I drank again, I would not be here having this conversation with you. So I, I know how you, just being right there and tackling the, the minute by minute and just seeing everything I needed to do and had to do and just taking it literally minute by minute and day by day, every single part of that was just right. 
had to be. I had to be present. I couldn't think about the past because I had already done what I had done. Right. And it wasn't and it doesn't. It, it doesn't really matter. And if you really think about what I was saying about the conscious present moment, you know, Buddha says what you think you become, you create your world. Gandhi says you must be the change you want to see in the world. Krishna said you are the culmination of your thought. And Jesus said whatever you ask in God's name is granted, but Moses said God's name was I am. So I am is a present moment statement. So mm-hmm. you you took your inner you took your inner power, your inner action hero, as I call it, and you you basically said, I don't drink anymore. Yeah, I don't do that anymore. Right. And I could tell you, I, my brother-in-law didn't go you didn't go that route, and they told him flat out, if you drink one more drink, you're done. And him and his buddies took him out hunting, and they gave him a beer. And he died mm. from the beer, the one beer. And yeah. they told him, one more and you're done. And I'll be darned if they weren't right, you know? Yeah. I mean, so, in my good, mind, good I, on you. Yeah, I, I literally put it in my mind because I, I like to be extreme on a lot of points. I just said, literally, if I have one more sip of alcohol, that would happen to me. And that's what I still think to this day, where I'm almost three years out and it's still in my mind of if I take one more sip ever, I'm done. So. Not worth my time. Good on you. Good because it, it, it was for him. One beer. Exactly. And I don't know if that's true or not for me, but I don't I don't need to find out. I don't need another beer. I don't need another right. drink. Well you know, it's funny, is in my life I, I I never did drugs. I never once did a drug. I never really felt like I needed to. I don't know or or wanted to. There was yeah. never a desire there. I twenty one I started drinking and I drank I drank, I drank hard. <laughs> yeah. I, I n- never liked beer. I was always a rum guy. And ah, I drank too. a lot. I drank a lot of rum and um, in all kinds of ways. And um, around 28, I just lost a lot of that desire again. And I, and I didn't drink for the longest time. And then I, <laughs> and then uh, they call me triple X because I have three ex-wives. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I didn't drink again until my until my third wife, and um, she drove me to drink. <laughs> Actually, she she encouraged me to drink because she had I think she had a little alcohol problem herself. Yeah, and um, and so I drank a little bit, not just socially with when she was around, and then as soon as we were done, man, I haven't had a drink since she since she left, and she's been gone six years. Yeah. And I haven't haven't had a drink. I don't have I don't have any alcohol in my house. I don't have I just don't have those things. And my son, he's 17. He doesn't have any desire for it at all right now. That's either. Good. So yeah, I'm pretty happy with where we're headed right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was a late bloomer. I didn't drink till I was 26. And then by 33, oh. that was my time in the hospital. And yeah. so <laughs> I hit it well, real you, hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you took a crash course, didn't you? Literally. Literally. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. Um, so I want to ask you, I, I, funny enough, I was thinking of when I, when I was in, when I was probably 18 or 19, I lived in Virginia and I was kind of like, where the hell do I go? What do I do? I was working with a ex-girlfriend's dad flipping houses and just construction type stuff. And I wasn't loving it. And I was like, what do I do? And I actually looked at going to school in Seattle to be a stuntman, funny enough, um, so where did you learn all of it? Did you go get training or did you just kind of tell me that story? Well, you were going to go to Seattle cause you were going to go study with David Boucher mm-hmm. and the United, the United Stuntman's Association. 
Yeah. Right. David is a very, David is a very good friend of mine. That's awesome. <laughs> um, That's so Maestro cool. Boucher. Right. Um, and they, uh, I started with those two gentlemen in, in uh, DC area, Brad uh, Waller and Payson Burt. And they started with stage combat. And over the course of the time, the more stage combat I did, the more I suddenly found the need to do, uh, for instance, I, I would get hired for a show and they would need somebody to do a high fall. And they didn't okay. have anybody who there could do it. So, so I would talk to my guys and they would show me how and I would go do it. Right. So I did a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, years go by and Brad Waller created an organization called the uh, the International Order of the Sword and Pen. And every other year they create a workshop that's called the Patty Crane Workshop up in Canada. And all the fight directors from the films and stage and, and also the European martial artists, the guys who do the HEMA stuff right now, all come together and just have a, a sharing of knowledge every other year in Banff, Canada. And so then I get to meet the guys from Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and Highlander and all these guys. So I really started making a connect, connection. The stunt world is really a, a good old boy network. It's who mm. you know. Sure. And so you really you really have to network like that. But I had I had if you're from Virginia, have you ever been to the Maryland Renaissance Festival? I haven't. Okay. Well, I, the Mar Maryland has one of the best Renaissance festivals in the country, and I was one of the headlining acts at that show for uh, 21 years. I did That's a show amazing. called Hack and Slash, <laughs> and uh, that Hack and Slash took me to 16 countries around the world, including the front lines of Iraq and Afghanistan, and. And so we, I did over 4,000 sword fighting comedy stunt shows with Hack and Slash. And, um, but it was through doing the work that I would meet the right people. Because when you put yourself in a space and you drop yourself into your passion, you know, universe, God, whatever you want to call it. I almost call it yada yada now because there's too many titles to say. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, yada yada. Um, it, it, uh, it will show you the pathway. You know, I tell people all the time, I say, you know, your conscious mind is, a, is an amazing thing. You consciously choose something, your subconscious mind will kick in to help you find it. And then I use the example of, you know, if you've ever bought a car and you chose what kind of car you wanted before you went to the store to buy it, did you notice you just started seeing that car everywhere? Yeah, <laughs> Start totally. popping up all over the place. Right. Well, that's your subconscious mind showing what you've consciously focused on. So for me to consciously focus on consciously focus on becoming a stuntman fight director and doing those things the people were put in my path and you know i now have been to a total of 30 countries around the world i've been uh in the pyramids of giza i've been on top of machu picchu i've been in, swam in the, the blue lagoon of iceland you know i've been done amazing things in my life i only paid for three trips i got paid to do the rest because yeah. those opportunities just showed up because that's what I was focused on. So it really comes down to what are you focused on? For me, to get out of that bed, I couldn't focus on having a bad back. I could, I had to focus on being a stuntman. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. Um, so where, when, when you were traveling, what was your favorite place you you went to? Italy. Okay. <laughs> Italy. Let me I'll tell you why. <laughs> I I live very experientially i i the experience has to sing to me i loved egypt i loved all i loved everywhere i loved everywhere i went but when i was in when i was in italy i, <laughs> I was walking the streets in italy 
And I used to, I, years ago, when in my, my oh so crazy <laughs> 20s and early 30s, I used to sing in a doo wop group, an, an a cappella group. Amazing. Right? We were called the, uh, we were called the Acafellers. And I'm walking the streets of, of Rome and I just started singing Ave Maria. And it's echoing through the buildings. And as I'm walking by, people are joining in. And this whole community is like, we're like a chorus walking through the streets and they're all Italian singing along with me. Yeah. So then we end up going down to Trevia Fountain, you know, that's the, the three coins in the fountain fountain. And I go down, go down there and right next to the fountain is a group of Italian college age kids singing American doo-wop. <laughs> right. Oh, <man. laughs> so, so I start singing in, I watch the guy who's leading him turn around and look at me. And he gestures me over, and I sat there for four hours singing American doo-wop and showing them things about the American doo-wop that they didn't know. And so the experience of Rome to me was like walking through a magical land. Yeah. You know, it was like everything was it was like the culture plus also the music, and it was just it was amazing. So yeah, to me that's that's my winner. <laughs> I'd go there yeah. right now if I could. Oh uh, man, yeah, that, I just when I get when I travel, that those are the moments that I hope for. Those are the kind of stories that I want to walk away from. I want it to be that moment where the whole city's singing with me, or I meet someone's grandmother who's just all of a sudden wanting to cook for everyone, and you get to go mm -hmm. have that. Those those are what I shoot for. Those, are, like you said, experiential. You know, I'm when I get to travel again. That's that's what I. I can't wait for it. I miss those moments well, where you just meet uh, those let, people. Let me tell you an interesting story about Egypt, though, because yeah, when I was in e when I was in Egypt, I got to I got to Egypt. I, I was in Egypt for thirty days, and I just traveled all over Egypt, and everywhere I went, I was treated like I was royalty, like a prince, and I and I I you know not like a tourist because you could see how the tourists were being treated. They literally were treating me like a prince. But I came there with love and respect for them and their culture. Yeah. You know, I walked into through the country and I'm like, God, I love your country. This is so great, you know. And to to put it, to kind of bring this whole story together, I ended up going to Mount Sinai, which is mm. like you, you you fly into Sharm el Sheikh and then you get a car and drive three hours into the desert to Mount Sinai. And we got to Mount Sinai and they have a little hotel there and. A, I'm going to put air quotes around hotel sure. because it's really, it's huts with a center building, right? <laughs> and I walk into the hotel and the guy behind the counter is there. I said, guy, I said, I love your country so much. I've had such a great time. And he was like, he wanted to talk. He loved hearing somebody say something like that. I said, especially the food. He says, well, what do you, what kind of food do you like? I said, well, my favorite so far is koshery and full. And he, he, he gets this look on his face. I'm like, he says, that's the peasant food. He says, that's not the tourist <laughs> eat. That's, that's what we eat. So that night, they, we all come to the dinner area, the dinner hut. <laughs> and um, the doors from the kitchen open and all the people in the room, they bring out the meals and they bring out, everybody got the same meal. Nobody got a chance to order anything. So it all came out. They all got beautiful looking steak dinners. And these they all come out to all these tables. And then the, the door kicks open and this giant bowl of koshery and full sandwiches comes out and lands on my table. Right. And I, I'm like, Oh, so we ate that. And then our steak dinners came <laughs> and we're like, Oh my God, we can't eat another bite. 
So when you climb Mount Sinai, you start climbing at one in the morning. Hmm. And the reason you start at one in the morning is so that when you reach the top five hours later, you're there just before sunrise. And so you're climbing this mountain. So I'm climbing this mountain. Now I left at one o'clock, 2.30 in the morning, I hear my name being called, John. Now, let me just say something. When you're climbing Mount Sinai in the middle of the darkness and you start hearing your name called out of the darkness, <laughs> that's trippy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, but it wasn't God. It was, um, it was the manager of the hotel running up the mountain to give me his coat because he thought I was going to be cold. So, I mean, that's literally how I was being treated. So the next day, I come down from the mountain, <laughs> literally, and, 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 I, and I go to St. Catherine's Monastery right at the base, which is a, a Byzantine monastery. It's, and I mean, it's like old school, like the incense and the beautiful artwork and real serious Byzantine monastery. And I'm walking through the monastery and I suddenly I hear this, hey, hey, and I turn around and this guy walks up, you're American, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I am. He says, me too. He says, have you been having problems since you've been here? I said, I said no, I've been treated like a prince everywhere I go. He, <laughs> says, he says, everywhere I go, people want to fight me. It took me five minutes before I wanted to kick the guy's ass. <laughs> <laughs> right? he, he was an absolute jackass, right? Yeah. The, the, you know, that's what he was putting out. Right. When you're putting out that kind of fear response, fear is going to rear its ugly head. I was putting out love to everyone I met, and I got love in return. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's, that happens to so many people where they get a bad experience and then they're like, no, that place sucked. It was awful. And I've gone, what did you bring to it? Did you come right. with respect? Did you come in saying, oh, this isn't what it's like here? Or did, did you adapt to what their, 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 their standard of living is? And, and if you right. just go in with that respect and you just say, hey, I'm here to experience. Like, I, I'll eat the peasant food. I don't care. I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. I just want to be in your country and experience it. You'll get far better results than just coming okay. in like an asshole. And what's really interesting is, is that, you know, like I said, I've been to 30 countries. I, I, I don't speak any other languages except for English. Right. But every country I've been to, I've been able to communicate because we all have multiple ways of communicating. And I can literally use my hands and my facial expressions to convey an entire story. And so, <laughs> so you know, they they communicate the same way. Yeah. You know, all over the world. Yeah. And it's just a it's just an amazing world that we live in. And, and that you know, there is you know, they say they talk about talking in tongues. Well, I I think the way we communicate without actual language is 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 exactly that. We can communicate without actually needing a a vocabulary yeah yeah i mean uh, it, yeah it is you go in and you can just feel what intention people are bringing right so if you're there and you're just demanding and this and that and you're unrealistic about where you're at like this guy i'm sure he was just very unrealistic with his what he expected from where he was in the world it just doesn't happen you just go in and like you said i only speak one language and i've been to I think I'm at 20 some country, 26 nice. or seven at this point. Nice. So I've seen nice. a lot. I mean, I'm very, very fortunate for that. And I don't speak any other languages, but I've always gotten along well with people. And 
either they feel comfortable enough to speak their broken English with me, and then I take the time to actively listen or try to help them, or or you tr you try to learn a few words of their language. I, it, absolutely, because that would if I could if I could pick one superpower, it would be to know every single language in the world, so that every <laughs> time I met somebody, I'd say hello, and then we they'd say something, and then I'd know their language and we'd speak. You know, I, and I think laughter is a huge part of the communication and the connection. And for me, when I'm talking to somebody who doesn't speak my language, um, I will usually find somebody to help me translate. But I, I, the first words I want them to teach me is the dirty words. Yeah. Right. It, teach me your dirty words because they'll laugh when you say it. Yep. And, you know, and you'll get this laughter and, you know, I can cuss you up and down in Greek all day long. <laughs> right. But, you know, but I, I had a best friend who was Greek, right? So I had all, all that kind of language, right? But, you know, every so often you pull out these those things just to make somebody laugh. Somebody right. makes one smile. You know, yeah. For me, I, I talk about my career doing hack and slash. When, when I describe it, they say, what's that? I say, well, basically what that means is for over 20 years, I was wearing tights and living in the woods. Right? <laughs> right? Just so I can get a laugh out of somebody, you know? When I designed my business card, I'm now a corporate speaker. When I designed my business card, it's it literally has my big smiling face on the front, and when you turn the card over, you see the back of my head. Amazing, that's <laughs> and, so good. And if somebody gets that card, and they look at it and look over and they smile and they laugh, they've just gotten a good feeling about me just because just by looking at my card. Right. You know? So deliver goodness to the world, and it'll come back to you quick. Yeah, I met I met this guy. Um, in northern norway up in the arctic circle and he had this roadside hotel gas station restaurant combo and every single person that walked in the door now this man had incredible gift of language he spoke nine nine and then was semi-fluent in like four other ones and because he was so good with all these languages he spoke a shitload of languages but literally every single person in that door he would say hello in Norwegian, and then I would I, w I just said, oh, I don't English. And he goes, oh, welcome, welcome. I see you got lost and you found me, so here you are. And like he, <laughs> I'm not even joking, every single person that walked in that door, I don't care what language they spoke, even if I didn't know what it was, they started laughing because he was so welcoming and just happy and jovial and just, knew how to be so open and welcoming and made people laugh immediately and everyone stayed it was full nonstop. we left 10 other people were coming in it was crazy right, right. and it was walking so good through, walking through the marketplace in egypt you hear you hear, um bonjour and you and you hear all these these languages being yelled out and what it is it's the street kids who are trying to sell their wares and they're calling out different languages to see who's going to respond. They're talking, trying to figure out where you where you're coming from. Yeah. And the kids know all the languages and can yeah. communicate in all the languages just because of working in the streets and being able to do that. Yeah. Now it's communication's easy. You know. Yeah. And like, like I said, ninety percent of it is literally not even verbal. Right. Yeah. I, I I was traveling with a guy who who was the classic um, ugly American, and we were in Germany. And he was trying to talk to the lady in English. And then, he, of course, he, he got louder so she would understand him. <laughs> and and finally, he says, he says, and he gets all you know, pissed off and he turns to walk away. And he says to me, he says, don't even talk to her. And I, and I look at her and I'm like, and I just 
<laughs> basically with a look and a and a slight nudge on my shoulder i said isn't he a jackass right, <laughs> right? yeah and she was like she was like yeah yep. <laughs> right? she the... totally understood i was yeah. like no it's good you're good you're good you know <laughs> we're moving on yeah goodness <sighs> yeah Incredible. i know i i get really irritated when i see people when i'm traveling and i see them doing that and i'm just thinking why are you why do you waste your time with that that's so right. silly just right. enjoy where you why do you like yeah just enjoy where you are yeah 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 you're you're the one that's not at home right. <laughs> you're in their home right? you're in their country you should be speaking their language right, right. not everyone right. you don't have they don't have to speak english it's a luxury right. that we have that a good majority of the world speaks our language that's a very that's nice true. thing but we go to their country and then expect them to know our language and then get pissed if they did it's no it's ridiculous <laughs> I all agree. right so uh covid restrictions aside I, I hand you a plane ticket and i said john you can go anywhere in the world where would you go this is going to sound weird i want to go to turkey that's not weird at all <laughs> um, i've been to istanbul and it was incredible really i would love to go to turkey and i've been like all over the place i i, I am a i am a spirituality tourist um like i've traveled all through india i've traveled all through the muslim countries i've traveled all over all over the place but one of the characters in christianity that really it inspires me is the apostle john because he's the only one that lived the old age mm. and he's also the one who who gave gave us the quote that god is love oh, wow. and and john in his old age lived in ephesus turkey and his tomb is there and I really want to go stand at the tomb of St. John and just okay. be there and experience that place. You uh, know, it's funny. I I had heard Ephesus before, but I didn't realize it was in Turkey. Yep. Yep. It's 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 a coastal city in, Tur in Turkey. Gotcha. Um, I was fascinated by the culture because I'd never been in a fully Muslim culture before. So that was my mm -hmm. first time going to that. So it was unbelievably beautiful. Uh, what I thought was amazing is no matter if you were worshiping or not, when the calls to prayer happened, everybody was silent and super respectful. I I'd never seen that before. And I just thought, how beautiful. I'm not worshiping right now, but I was very respectful of it. And I just thought that was so cool. I have to tell you, the, the first time I ever heard the call to prayer, um, I arrived in Cairo in, at, the, at night uh, by plane. And they took us to our hotel, which was the Gezerah Sheraton, which sits right in the dead center of the Nile on a little island in the Nile. And have you ever been to Egypt before? Not yet. Okay. So Egypt, the, at night, they burn a lot of things to keep themselves warm. Mm. And so by morning, you, there's this pungent smoke in the air. And we were on, oddly enough, the 13th floor of the Gezerah Sheraton. In the U.S., we don't have a lot of 13th floors. Right. Well, we dead. don't have them. Right. We'll quote, unquote, right, that. Right. right. <laughs> You're on the 14th <laughs> right, floor. Right. Come on. <laughs> right. So um, I wake up in, in the hotel, and I walk over to the balcony. I open the, open the window, and this pungent smell comes in, and I can't see anything but this smoke. I can't see the, the Nile. I can't see the land. I can't see the buildings. But I suddenly hear the call to prayer through the smoke. Oh, wow. So here I am, like, in the clouds, getting this yeah. pungent odor, and the call to prayers going on. It was it was so – it gave me shivers. It was so amazing. 
Sure. And, um, and then when I when I was walking through the, the streets of Jerusalem many years later, um, the call to prayer happened. And it was interesting to watch how, how, like you said, everyone gave the other religions their respect. Yeah. You know, there was no real struggle there. So interesting. Yeah. That I was I was very struck by that because I was I was the same. I did I didn't I didn't look into it enough, so I was ignorant when I went to Turkey and when they first happened I was kind of like, What the hell is going on? And my friend knew and she goes, Oh, it's the calls to prayer and I said, Oh, okay and I remember we were at our hostel, we were up at the bar area and so there were people from all over the world and this one I mean, it looked out to the sea, it was rooftop it was like just unbelievable but every single person up there i don't care where they were from on the globe that call to prayer happened just silence and that was totally it was so beautiful i was like man yeah. just respect man that it's not that hard give someone their five minutes or however long it is and give them respect yeah. you're in their no, culture not, yeah no matter what they're giving respect to give them right. the respect you know um when I did when I I did USO tours, I I my my hack slash show, I took me to the front lines of Iraq and Afghanistan and and uh, uh, fourteen other countries with the USO, and um, I in Kuwait I performed on a stage at Camp Arif John, and years later I was watching on YouTube I was watching Robin Williams perform on that same stage, and he walks out and he's doing the thing and all of a sudden a trumpet starts playing and the entire audience stands up and turns around. And Rob, you know, Robin Williams was always so lively and, and oh, yeah. gregarious. It stopped him. It, he literally stopped his hands, went to the center and he just stood there with great respect. And then they finished. He says, can I ask somebody a question? He says, what the hell was that? Yeah. <laughs> and they said, the flag was going down. So the entire audience stood up to turn around to, so the flag could go down. Hmm. And and where they were at the stage, you can't see the flag. Gotcha. But as long as the trumpet's playing, the flag is going down. So they all stood up, turned towards the flag, and it, it's amazing how that group mentality changes. We were in um, Germany on a, one of the USO tours, and my partner, my comedy partner, and I went to um, the movie theater on base, and we went in. We had like two of the front seats, and then. The room goes dark and all of a sudden you hear this slight hissing sound and like light starts to come up. And by the time the lights are coming up, the entire audience snaps to attention. And as you know, we had no idea what we we're doing, but the motion of them made us snap to attention just because the group mentality. And so bam. Sure. And then, and then on the screen comes the American flag and the national anthem. Wow. <laughs> Right. So, but it's interesting how that meant that that group reverence or that group respect can affect so many people around them. Yeah, it is. It is. And then I'm thinking also how off-putting it is if one person in that is being the jackass. Say Robin Williams went off and was like, what the fuck are you all doing or whatever? And then they'd be like, it wouldn't go well, you know? Right, right. The best line he said afterwards that, was, that I thought was funny. He says, "He says when that happened, all I could think is, what the fuck is over there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. What's coming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I have to imagine, yeah, like being at a airbase or 
just on these USO shows, there has to be that kind of thought process of is something going to happen? And and being someone who is, I'll tell you, uh, my close call that I had um, during the during the Iraq War, there was a, a either the Shia or the Sunni attacked the other one's mosque, hmm. and it was all over all over CNN, and and it was during it was near near a town called Samara. A week after that happened, me, my comedy partner, and two other comedians, because we put together a big show, and we flew into the American base of Samara, right oh, next boy. to that mosque, right? So we fly in on two Black Hawk helicopters. All of our equipment's in one helicopter. We're in the other helicopter. And we fly in, and we land. The soldiers run out. They grab our equipment, and they get us out of the choppers, and the choppers leave because they can't stay on the ground because they're a target if they're on the ground. And then they say, um, well, it's lunchtime. We want to feed you guys before the show, but we don't have a dining facility on base. You go over to that, that truck over there, get your food, and then we have to scatter because we're not allowed to be in groups on this base because we're a target for a group, right? So we're right. really looking at this. This is like obviously a very you know, <laughs> tense base. So we go get our food. We find a Humvee. We climb up in the Humvee. We're eating our lunch in the Humvee. We finish that. We go over. We do a two and a half hour funny comedy show. Did the whole thing. Finished the whole thing. Got out of our costumes because we did it in full costumes. Wow. And packed the whole thing down. Brought our stuff out to the flight line. The two helicopters come in and land. They put all of our stuff in the front helicopter. We get in the back helicopter. The two helicopters take off. And as they're taking off, the rocket-propelled grenade comes underneath the helicopter I'm in and blew up the Humvee I had lunch in. <laughs> and then we're the only helicopters in the air, and they were under strict orders to fight back if anything happened. And so I was in a helicopter that was doing low-running sweeps over the city of Samara looking for the guy who shot the RPG at us. And we never Jeez. did find him. We never did find him, but... Yeah, that was that was a that was an interesting experience. <laughs> say, <laughs> say sounds a little intense. Yeah, it was. It was. It got, it got a little crazy. It got yeah. a little crazy. Not something um, I'd be prepared for. I don't imagine. I, you know, it's really interesting though that that happened, and there wasn't time to have a fear response. Sure. It was like suddenly we we're like, all right, let's go get them. You know, we're like we're like we're in the mentality of all, all these guys. Like, yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. Meanwhile, like these guys are shooting rocket propelled grenades at us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'd have that, and then afterwards, I'd probably be like you and be like, "What was I gonna do?" <laughs> uh, uh, I was just gonna. I was. I was slowing the chopper down because I'm, I'm a big guy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it, the first two tours we did, we did two tours uh, through Europe because it was still early in the buildup. Um, we actually very interesting. You know, you're, you're you you get put where you where you're supposed to be in life. And on September 8th, 2001, two guys from the Pentagon walked up to our stage at the Maryland Renaissance Festival and said, I've been watching you guys for years. Would you be interested in doing USO shows? We're like, yeah, we'd love to. So Monday, September 10th, we dropped our packet off at their office. September 11th, the Pentagon and the towers got hit, right? Yeah. They shut down all their offices. Three weeks later, they called, can you go immediately? And we went from November to February that, that year. Wow. Um, and did all the bases through Europe. Really interesting because we were watching the soldiers getting moved into into the theater. And so 
in some of the bases we were, we were performing on, soldiers were sleeping on, on their sleeping bags in the hallways because there wasn't enough bed space. It was them literally moving soldiers overseas. And so it really was a um, really interesting experience. But the second time they sent us to Europe, everybody was already at their bases in the, in the, the theaters of operation. And we were still touring Europe. And, you know, when you're in Europe, you don't stay on a base for entertainment because you're in Europe. Right, <laughs> right. right. And so, and so <laughs> we were having really, really weak shows and people weren't showing up. It was really, and I kept telling the, our, our, our um, MWR guy, Morale, Welfare and Recreation uh, liaison, I said, you need to send us downrange where the soldiers need entertainment, you know, where yeah. they need to have that pressure relief valve. Yeah. Where's that pressure relief valve? So the third tour comes along <laughs> and I'm I'm standing on the flight line in Fallujah, Iraq, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm talking to a colonel and I'm telling him the story about how we did the two tours of Europe and I am telling him to send us further down range. And I finished the word range and a quarter mile off to my left, a bomb blew up. <laughs> and, and the colonel, without flinching, looks over there, looks back at me and says, son, you can't get further downrange. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was an interesting, interesting experience to be over wow. there, to say the least. I would do it again right now, though. I was going to say, yeah, I imagine all things considered crazy, wild, scary, fearless, fearful, anything you could put on that. It just had to be amazing to be... I mean, like you said, in Europe, everyone leaves base because it's it's Europe. But when you have to be on base, I imagine those crowds just being unbelievable. Just unbelievable. the appreciation. And, uh, I had a soldier come up to me in, in Ramadi, Iraq, who said, um, this is Mr. Davis. This morning I was in a firefight this afternoon for two hours. I was able to forget that. Thank you so much for coming. Wow. You know, and when I asked them what their day was like, they said, it's like Groundhog's Day, the movie, except for every day somebody's trying to kill you sure and then, you know the tension of that you know and sure. and in reality in reality i don't care what you what your beliefs are about the wars that they were fighting those people volunteered to go anywhere at any time to defend me it is the least i can do to go out there and give them something back totally you know, i i live by the credo that i am an action hero and i i like that word action hero right yeah, um, there's an interesting thing about the action hero thing, though, because the word action means to create motion, to start momentum or to do something. And the word hero is somebody who achieves an extraordinary result in service of others. And so I love to go out there as an ordinary individual and create extraordinary res results in service of others. And I try to live that every day. Now, there's a difference between an action hero and a superhero. Most people don't realize what that is. Action heroes, as I said, are ordinary individual who create super results. Superheroes are people who wear their underwear on the outside of their pants, who are radiated by some sort of goo and have superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and typically, because they have superpowers, they do super things, which means they're really slackers because they're not really getting out of their box because we expect super people to do super things. Yeah, <laughs> that's fit. <laughs> that's so true. All they I did was, that one through. <laughs> all they do is put on a, a mask on their, right. their their eyes and expect not to be recognized. And yeah, they flip their underwear to the outside. 
I could pull my glasses off right now, and you'd think I was, think I was Superman, right? Right, exactly. Well, actually, actually te- technically, I, I guess I'd be Lex Luthor. <laughs> right. Yeah. You just got to jump in some some like telephone box and pop back out right. with your right. with your glasses. And they don't off. have them. And they don't have them anymore. And you can't jump in a cell I know. phone. Right. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Man. Ridiculous. It's so tough. It's so That's hard amazing. to be a superhero nowadays. <laughs> I know. Unbelievable. They make it so tough. One thing I wanted to ask you about too is. Um, it said on your profile that I that where we matched on about that you were a college professor. I taught theater at Oberlin College. Okay. Um, and let me tell you an interesting story about that. I I think I told you that I feel like I'm the creator of my experience, and, and yeah. I also told you that when when you make a conscious choice, the universe provides the the pathway to it. And I my after my after wife number two left <laughs> and took my son to Ohio, I moved to Ohio to be near my son. And I was working at a, a medieval fair up here. And I decided that I was going to be a college professor. Now, my degree was in architecture. Hmm. And and I decided I want to be a, 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 a college professor. And I said, okay, I am going to be a college professor. Now, for me, when I use an I am statement, I use them very purposely. I am. Because that's God's name, and, and God's name is granted. You know, you know that 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 quote I said. You know, whatever you ask in God's name is granted. And Moses said, "It's I am." But the interesting thing is, in the Bible, the more important phrase is the phrase that comes after that, and it's "Nothing will be impossible for you." Mm, yeah. So, so that lack of limitation. So I decided I was going to be a college professor, and I got hired to do fight choreography for the play "My Favorite Year" at the Beck Center in Cleveland which is a great play and i went in and i was the fight director and um the i end up the guy who's playing the lead was great he was a nice guy and a, a great actor and we finished the thing he says hey he says you know i'm the dean of theater at oberlin college would you consider coming to a master class just a single master class i said sure that'd be great so he brought me in to do a master class <laughs> i did the master class he says well i brought you in to do the master class to see how you how'd you like a semester? Sweet, said, great. So then I, I I I taught there for another six years, <laughs> right? And but it it literally comes down to what you focus on, you get. Yeah. And you also have to remember that God slash universe slash yada yada <laughs> doesn't focus in in positives or negatives. He only he only gives you what you focus on, and yeah. you can focus negative or you can focus positive. Yeah. So focus. Choose positive. It's a much better experience. For sure. Well, I mean, it's kind of been a good theme throughout this conversation with when you're traveling, when you're <laughs> looking at life, when you're being conscious of your day in, day out, just stay positive. That's what I, that's what I, I can't not do that. It, it just makes, it doesn't make any sense to focus on the negative. It gets you nowhere. It, it gets you and, worse and, than nowhere. And if you know negative people, the reason you know them is because they are focused on negative and their subconscious mind is showing them negative. And when you call them on it, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to go to somebody else and point at you and see, did you see what they did to me? Because yep. you're going to become their next negative. And the reality of it is that you, you can, if you would just start giving them some real positive reinforcement and po- on the good things they're doing, you can change that experience for them. You can help change that experience. They have to make their conscious choices, of course, but you can be a part of that process. Yeah, that's what that's how I try to live my life is to make sure I leave. A, if I was if I was a boat captain, I'd make sure I was leaving a positive wake behind me. 
Yeah, I like that. I like that. I I I always say when when I'm spreading positivity with this podcast or just people I meet in the world that I'm spreading ripples. So I like that. It's the water, yeah. the movement yeah. of it. Because I, I truly believe that everyone that listens to our conversation or any conversation that I have or that you have, or we meet as we're traveling or wherever we do, there is that, that just ripple effect. Because if I'm nice to you and then I'm having a shitty day, but now someone's been nice to me and then I'm uh, feeling a little better, then I bump up somebody else and then it just spreads. But if, if, I, if I was going to say anything to your audience, this is one thing I would say, just try this. Go out in the world and just actively catch eye contact and smile at the next few people you, you walk past and watch their face either break into a smile or a hello or watch them be a little shocked by the fact that you're smiling at them. Yeah. You know, <laughs> totally. Um, but you can literally, but just by smiling as you walk, can watch people's mood change. You can be the bodhisattva. You know what that, you know what that is, I'm assuming. The bodhisattva is, is, do you know what that is? No. Okay. Um, uh, bodhisattva, you know, you, namaste, you, I recognize the, 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 yeah. the divine within you. The bodhisattva is the conscious Buddha mindset, somebody who walks through life consciously giving the, the, the feeling of love and feeling of bliss. Mm. And, and euphoria. I like that. If, and, and the best, the best video to, to really, um, exemplify what I'm talking about is on YouTube, Bodhisattva on Subway. Okay. Look up. I bet it's amazing. It is, it is, there's no word spoken in it, only laughter. I love it. It's well, awesome. that, that's a place. I mean, that now it would, I, I cringe thinking of what the subway used to look like, but, <laughs> but I just, it's such a sad, just strange all around, just, keep to yourself and huddle away and yeah i can imagine that's a pretty incredible video i ju i just flew back from um from nashville and it was i i was speaking at the uh the opryland resort actually oh nice and um it was really interesting traveling now with this we're kind of in and out of the covid flux, yeah. you know and some people are full-blown we're done with this you know and they're you know and others are very protective and it was very interesting to watch the dynamic of people literally yeah. trying trying to shield themselves away from each other yeah. i'm really looking forward to the time when we can all you know reconnect in, in ways that are that are closer yeah i i'm with you on that one i i don't i don't love having to go when i see somebody right, or even right. even just a gut reaction and it's even weird watching TV for, or movies from before COVID and just being like, oh my God, I, what, what are they doing? Why are they, right. uh, you know, it's just such, there's such a mind flip that's happened. Um, and yeah, it's, it's tough. I, I actually live in Nashville. So I, I see. Oh, do you really? Yeah. You really? I see, oh, I wow. see that battle all the time. I worked a gig at yeah, the Ryman two weekends ago and I was looking down at Broadway and I was just like, dude, if somebody from another country that was in full lockdown flew here and went to Broadway, they'd be like, we don't even live on the same planet right now. Right. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> like you said, there's just two separate worlds that people are living in with this. It, it, it's, it's crazy. It, it's a, but, you know, I think that there's nothing that can't be solved with a little love and compassion. Yeah. A little bit of uh, 
what 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 um, the Dalai Lama says. My religion is simpler. My religion is kindness. Yeah. And so just being kind, you know. Yeah. And it goes a long way. Totally. I think I think we all need. I think the world needs a lot more of that. I could not agree more. That's, that's why I love having <laughs> um, these conversations with perfect strangers to spread the ripple effect. Your your wake out into the world because yeah. it, it can be that simple, man. It's it's really not that tough to to yeah, smile just, at somebody and give them the time of day, give a shit about what they have to say, right. even if you don't believe it. And when someone comes up to you in a bad mood, you know you can help them. You, uh, I had a waitress come up to my table one time. And she, and she was having having a bad day, and you could tell it. And the first word she actually said to us at the table was, "I'm having a bad day, and I'm sorry. It's going to affect your service." Hmm. Uh, you know, which is terrible service, right? Right. So I could have easily been pissed off. I could have been like, "Well, give me a different server." I said, "I'm so sorry to hear that. Why don't you sit down, and I'll serve you lunch." <laughs> I'll, I'll handle the rest. Of you. I'll yeah, get the rest of your tables. Don't you worry about it. I'll make sure you're okay. And she started laughing. Yeah. And then I would joke with her more. And by the time our dinner was done, first of all, we had a fantastic dinner. Our meals came. They were better than anybody else's in the, in the entire restaurant because she was giving our love back to us. Yeah. And But she would go and she would do her tables and she'd come back and hang out at our table and laugh with us awesome. the whole time. Right? Yeah. You can do that for anybody. You can be the person who brings that joy. And a matter of just taking the, be, you know, making the choice to not judge somebody. Right. You have no idea what they're going through. Yeah. No clue. Right? No, no matter what, even if you've had the same experience, you don't know how they're experiencing it. And right. it's their exactly. life. It's their life. And it you could be something that... that you wouldn't think meant anything to you, but it means a massive amount to them. So you cannot tell that person it's insignificant because to them it is. And that's what matters. In in the action hero world, I I call that being a reaction zero rather than an action hero. Yeah. You're just reacting to a a stimulus instead of being someone who's in control of your actions. Yeah. So be in control of your actions and be be the kind person who can diffuse a situation rather than it's like the officer who was at the police station and the, and the guy came in with a wielding a knife was going to kill the police officers. And the, the officer sat down and just talked to him and then put out his hands and the guy handed him the knife and then the cop hugged him. Right. There, there was no death. There was no murder. There was no fight. It was just the, sh- the literal show of compassion. Yeah. Um, I don't even remember there was a school shooting several years ago, which seems to be a regular thing nowadays, but um, we had, you had one today, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Um, Knoxville. <laughs> yeah. And um, I remember there was, um, I forget the lady's name. I think her last name was Huff. She was working in the school and the kid came in with an AR-15 and he was not mentally stable. And she she told the kid, right? And she, you could hear her on the phone talking to the kid. She says, he's like, he says, nobody cares. She says, I care, honey. I love you. And she ends up hugging the kid and the kid gave up and didn't kill anybody more, you know? You know? Yeah. So it was, it was like, she, she used love and compassion and stopped the situation without, without anybody else getting hurt. Yeah. And, you know, love is always more powerful than, than the hate is. hundred percent. Always. Absolutely. And I just think about that in, in, life in general of like i i put it to my life i'm a, I'm a massive alcoholic i always have I, I always will be 
But I remember the first person that actually saw me and didn't judge me and didn't tell me I was wrong and didn't tell me this, didn't tell me that. She didn't tell me shit. And she'd never drank in her life. She never didn't know anything about alcoholism, anything like that. But you know what she did? She saw me for me. And she treated me like I was just another human and gave me love and compassion. And I, I've i told her that since that day, that, that that spoke more to me than anybody else. And I'm, I'm going, no matter who... I mean, the person sitting on the ground that we walk by every day, any any city you're in, that person has a father. They have a mother. They probably have some family. They have somebody that gives a shit about them, and they just want to be seen. They don't want to just be passed by. You know what I mean? Even if you don't feed that person or have money, if you just sat there, it would brighten that person's day. And And all across the board. And even if you did have money and you gave them money, money comes back to you. Yeah. Money, money is just energy flowing through your hands. Right. You know, it comes and it goes all the time. So, you know, if somebody doesn't have it, the one that always bothers me is when the people are out there begging in the streets and they're saying, well, if you just give him money, he's just going to drink it away or something like that. And I'm like, you know, for someone to be out there in the street, to get to a point where they're actually begging for money, they are at a very low place. Yeah. And, you know, I can judge him and, you know, unless I'm willing to take him to counseling and and pay for that and do all that, the least I can do is give him a meal. Right. You know, if you don't want to give him money to waste on alcohol or whatever, then go buy him a meal. Yeah. You know, do something of caring and something from your heart and something loving because that's the thing that's going to matter the most. Totally. totally. That's the thing that's, that's going to make them realize that they're, that they are not garbage. You know, my father was a, was an alcoholic and an, an, an emotional abuser. Mm. He had seven kids. And um, of the seven kids, there was one that he hated the most. And his name was John Davis, me. I was the one that was uh, mentally and emotionally abused for a long, long time. And, um, it wasn't until I took my own power through acting that I was able to go off and do these things. You know, I had that, I decided to do the Renaissance festival yeah. and then I got into stage combat and then martial arts. And, and then finally, for, I didn't talk to my father for years and years and years. And when, and actually when he passed away, I felt terrible because I was so relieved he was gone. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, and it was a hard thing to go through. It was a emotion. That was the hardest thing was to how bad of a person am I to, to think that. You know, right. But it was, you know, I, I don't have to, I don't have to, you know, if you've had a, an emotional past, uh, emotionally abusive past or even a physically abusive past, you don't have to like what they did. And you don't have to necessarily forgive them, but you have to release attachment hmm. to, to it, because if you're not releasing attachment to it, it's an anchor holding you back. Right. And, and you got to cut the rope and, and sail forward. You know, we all get very, com- very comfortable in our in our victim mentality. Yeah. And I call it the velvet cage. You can get very comfortable anywhere you are. But, you know, you have still have to open the door and fly. Right. Yeah. hundred okay. percent. All right. I got one more question for you. You answered all right, all right. one of the you answered one of the questions that I end with about <laughs> I always say if you have the ear of everybody in the world, 
what would you say to them? Which mm. you you brought up, which I love. I oh, love did I really? It, yeah, when it comes up naturally. <laughs> it's one of the ones that I love I love to ask. Um but um the other one that I love to end these with is um what would you want the world to know about you? Uh I if what would I want the world to know about me? I'm not vain enough to think the world should think about me, first of all. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but if, if they had to know anything about me, I would I would just want them to think of me as just a good person. Yeah. That's enough. I don't need anything more. I love that. If they could think that, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've spent an hour with you, and I think you're a fantastic person. I've truly oh, enjoyed thanks. this. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, you too. I have, I have as well. Yeah, this has been really I wish, nice. I wish I'd have known you were in Tennessee. We could have done. I could have. We could have recorded yeah, right. else down there. I know. <laughs> That's amazing. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on and hanging out with me. This has been fantastic. Oh, thank you. It's been great. I've, I've loved it. All right. Well, have a beautiful rest of your day. I shall, and you do the same. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Beautifully Human podcast. To hear more beautiful stories from beautiful humans, follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at the Beautifully Human Podcast. Peace signs up. <laughs>